This is Missing Persons Uncovered, where we uncover the depth and complexities of a global pandemic. Every year, hundreds of thousands of people go missing worldwide. I'm Caroline Neuer, a child protection expert. And I'm Karen Shalev-Green, a researcher specializing in the subject area of missing persons at the University of Portsmouth, UK. Across this series, we hope to raise awareness of this issue, discuss how societies can support vulnerable people better, and give you insight into how you can protect your community and your family. In the last episode, we talked about why people go missing and the different types of missing occurrences, discovering that there are many elements that contribute. This time, we want to focus on how people can make a report when they believe a person they care about is missing and what to expect. Charlie Hedges is a former UK police officer and a quarter of a century later works nationally and internationally to improve the way institutions handle missing persons. There's a human nature thing. I'm sure they'll turn up in a minute. We need to overcome that and just think through the situation clearly, sort of going through a risk triage process in our own heads, thinking about just how serious is the situation? Is it just they just haven't turned up on time? And then being able to explain that when you go to make the report and why you believe the person's come to harm is their behaviour out of character. Charlie's work led him to joining Amber Alert Europe and the European Police Expert Network on missing persons, building a network of police expertise across Europe, whilst gaining understanding and responding to risk in relation to missing persons. He talked to Caroline about how and why people should report a person missing and what to expect. One of the things a lot of people are confused about when they see on TV series or movie is where someone inevitably says, please wait 24 to 48 hours before reporting a missing person. While experts know that's wrong, Caroline asked Charlie about his thoughts and what people should do in the real world. Yes, I, I constantly hope this has been consigned the annals of history. Unfortunately, it keeps on popping up again. And it used to be fairly common practice that when someone was trying to report another person missing, they were told to go away and, and leave some time. They'll, they'll come back. But we know from the work that we've done over the many years and working on different cases, that actually creates a, a void where you miss the opportunity to respond promptly and effectively. And the longer you leave it, the further person can travel, the more complicated the case is, and the more difficult it is to respond. So it's really important to forget that myth. And if there's someone that you're really concerned about who is not where they should be, then it's a matter to be reported as soon as possible. How can we explain that you shouldn't be scared of making that report and why? Yeah, I completely understand why people find that difficult. It can be intimidating to go and speak to the police. They're an official body and some people are a bit nervous about that. And then also there's a human nature thing. Oh, I'm sure they'll turn up in a minute. We need to overcome that and just think through the situation clearly. It's easy to panic and take all the wrong actions. Think through it clearly. Just think, first of all, about where the person might be. And we're sort of going through a risk triage process in our own heads, thinking about just how serious is the situation? Is it just they just haven't turned up on time or what's going on? And then being able to explain that when you go to make the report and why you believe the person has come to harm is their behaviour out of character. 
The challenge for many in that situation might be whether they should go looking for the individual before making a report or trying to do both in conjunction with each other. Charlie acknowledges it's a difficult judgment call, balancing an amateur search with reporting the missing person to authorities. It's just trying to evaluate just how serious and urgent you think the situation is. Yes, by all means, you know, have a look around, maybe ask someone else to do it while you're undertaking the report. Ask your husband, wife, brother, sister, whoever, a friend, can they just make a few phone calls, check on a few places to just to see if that person is innocently delayed or, or what have you, while you carry on and, and make that report. And yes, the, the police will want to ask lots of questions about why you think this person is missing. And the better prepared you are, the better. But don't delay so long. Don't spend so much time going through that process that it delays the response. You have to look at the circumstances at the time and try and juggle those two priorities. And I guess it also depends on the vulnerability as much as we know about the person. Because if we know they have dementia or they're a young child, they're probably more vulnerable and at higher risk to encounter some kind of crime or or victimization, whereas a healthy adult, in the lack of best terms, has less vulnerability in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. There'll be a whole range of factors come into play. I mean, an otherwise fit and healthy person who's gone out for a walk and suddenly the, the weather deteriorates as a blizzard and freezing conditions, then your concern inevitably is going to rise and that's going to increase the risk of harm. So yes, young children, people with dementia or other things that are liable to make them wander off and and get lost. And looking at this from a slightly different aspect as well, if you know someone who would have that potential for going missing because of health issues or their age, or if you're on holiday somewhere with your children in a strange area, have a bit of a plan in your head. The chances are this isn't going to happen. But if you've got a bit of a plan as to what to do, an agreed plan with the family about making contact and meeting meeting together, or if it's someone with dementia or other condition that's making them vulnerable, just prepare and make sure you've got a recent photograph, write down some information about that person that's going to be immediately available to assist the police. Let's take a step back, though. Whilst it varies in different countries... Who can make a report in the UK? Is it just family member or a person that's responsible for the other person? Or can it be a friend or a teacher? Charlie's answer is perhaps surprising. It can be anyone. If you have sufficient concern for someone that they're not where they should be and there's a potential risk of harm to them, anyone can make that report inevitably you know, the police will want to talk to family members and cross-reference what it is you're saying. There are different responses. In many countries in Europe, people would not think of picking up the phone. They would always go to their local police station to make a report. That is just their standard practice. In the UK and many other countries, it's more common for people to phone and have that initial conversation. And whether that's on a normal phone line or whether it's on the emergency line will depend on the circumstances. Obviously, you know, if you have a, a four or five year old child who's who's wandered off and they can't be found, then that's much more of an emergency than someone who's older and more able to look after themselves who's gone for a short period of time. So again, it's, that's judgment is about the potential harm to the person and the speed of response. 
I guess it also depends on where you are, because in some places the the local police is maybe 10 miles away. So it makes sense to use the phone. I, I guess once you get there, what is it that we should be expecting from the police? As I said, we, a lot of times we're scared to even walk into a police station because we feel like either we're going to get blamed or we're going to cause more harm or more disruption than there needs to be. So what would you say to a person that's scared or that is unwanted to go into the police station? What should they expect when they walk into that police station and making that report? Yeah, I mean, they shouldn't be scared because law enforcement are there to help and support people as well as the harder edge of, of policing around detecting crime and arresting people and what have you. So they are there very much there for support. And whatever your way you approach it, the organisation with the primary responsibility for finding a missing person is the police, and they are the best agency to talk to, and I'd always encourage you to go and talk to them and explain the situation. If you can think through what you need to say, think about descriptive information about the person you're reporting, just why it is you're concerned, and be prepared to be questioned fairly thoroughly, because the police, first of all, need to confirm that what you're saying is accurate and true, which is not a disbelief of you or a judgment of you, but they need to be able to understand the circumstances fully. And then they will be asking for a lot of information, descriptive information, a photograph if possible, and then they should be making their own assessment of the severity of the risk to the person and how quickly and in what manner they should respond to the report. And whilst the advice would always be to contact the police first, the 116,000 European hotline through Missing Children Europe organisation is just one example of charities working with authorities, as Charlie explains. I'm sure that most people who are listening today will have lost sight of somewhere, someone's failed to meet them, and they just haven't been where you expect them to be. And you have a sense of unease, which grows and grows as time goes past. So if that's gone to a day or more, that is really, really difficult to, to deal with. So support and help is important. We'll talk more about the relationship between charities and the police in a future episode. But with Charlie's unique experience in the police force, Caroline asks, why do the police ask so many questions when a person is making a report? Missing is an incredibly multifaceted and complex area. I mean, you can have someone who's gone for a walk and they just get lost. Yes, they are missing, but they haven't willfully gone missing. They've just got lost and sometimes you'll need a mountain rescue or lowland rescue volunteer search team to go out and look for them, which the police often work with that type of charity and NGO as well. They could be someone who's just life's got too difficult for them and they've wandered off and wanted a bit of space, a bit of peace. They might be running away for abuse at home, maybe being lured to the bright lights of the big city and being exploited and harmed, subject of crime. There are just so many facets to it. And that's really why it's important to start examining it early, getting involved with the, with the police. The NGOs can provide a really helpful service by providing other information. Other agencies, social services and, and health can all add to the picture. And it's building that picture. And that's why so many questions need to be asked for the police to be able to understand and put all those bits together 
because not every individual involved and every agency involved will have the complete picture, but they all have a bit of the jigsaw, which you then put together. Because the critical thing is someone's missing, but nobody goes missing without a reason. That reason might be they got lost, or it might be for something more sinister or a whole rate. And if we can understand that, then that gives us a much better chance, A, of, of building an investigation to find them, but also finding a way to help and support them and to try and work with them to solve those underlying issues. And then hopefully they won't feel the need to go missing again. How different is the process of reporting someone missing between countries? There will be minor variations and just just mm. how things are done but broadly speaking it's, it's the same response and it's something we worked very hard to do to try and unify that because what we should try to do all is eliminate as much possible is, is too much uncertainty and difference for those who are reporting into the system as part of the reporting what happens with the information once the police have the report In the U.S., you've got the National Crime Information Center, that's sort of a national database run by the FBI for all sworn police officers. And if a child goes missing, there is a law in the U.S. that you have to make the report into the NCIC system within two hours. In the U.K., you've got a similar system that's the PNC. So is that similar in the sense that you have to put information in there as soon as possible Or is that a discrepancy to the police officer? And what is PNC? PNC is the Police National Computer, which is gradually being superseded by the PND, the Police National Database. So it is a national database of a whole range of things, from missing people to crime to stolen property and so on and so forth. And yes, all cases should be notified on there as soon as possible and certainly no longer than 48 hours. And there are certain in Europe, you've got the Sirene or Schengen Information System, which does the same thing across all European countries, because we know that people travel and move around, and it's important to make that information accessible for when a police officer sees someone they're concerned about and they can make a check and find out whether they're missing or wanted or what have you, and to be able to intervene and take the right action. And then also, mm-hmm. on a worldwide basis, sitting over all of that is Interpol, an international database mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. cases of sufficient severity are, are entered into that, and they can be checked anywhere in the world. Yeah, that's a great point, because there are different systems. You and I have done trainings across the world in different places, in Caribbean as well as in Asia, and we've seen that not many countries actually have this kind of national police system that allows them to share the information. But I think it's important that there is one so that a police in one jurisdiction can know what's happening in another jurisdiction, just the basic information. Because as you said, the traveling today is easy. So unless we share the information We really can't know and help the person that is missing in that respect. The difficulty is also, of course, then sharing that information. So you want to share enough information, I guess, that allows the police that are on the street to recognize the missing person and then know what to do with an action. So in what could be described as the real world rather than the portrayal in movies, Once a missing person report has been made, what should someone expect as the next step? First of all, 
there will be a different response to different cases again according to the risk and urgency if you've got a very young child who's gone missing in circumstances you know with bad weather conditions or in a, in a particular location then you'll get a very very rapid response because everyone knows it's a need to get out there and that will probably override everything else and, and there will be other circumstances with other people as well again very elderly people or it's that initial assessment and so if it's determined or go to the officer who's in charge at that time in that police district and they will make a decision no, I want every resource to go out and look for this person it's really important because the longer we leave it the further it away and so on others will take a bit longer because there needs to be more investigation and evaluation so the initial report you make is basic information is then moving on to check that information again it's not, not about disbelieving what the person reporting is saying but often that person even if it's a mother and father they don't necessarily know every single facet of what's happening in their lives particularly when they get into their teens so often you get the better information by talking to their friends you need to go to the school who is their best friend sometimes it's necessary to go to the house and make a search of the relevant areas within the house Mm -hmm. where that person lives because they need to look for information about that person to find out what's going on so that's driven by the supervisor in charge at that time the assessment of the case and determining what are the right resources to be used to move this case forward and hopefully to locate the person as soon as possible earlier on you mentioned that a person uh, can prepare for another person to go missing depending on who they are and the vulnerability so let's talk a little bit about that preparation it's like what do you think our listeners should know how can they prepare for the worst sick case scenario if suddenly someone in their life goes missing how can they prepare for that what should they be aware of because it's going to be a chaotic time no matter what In the UK, we have something that's called the Herbert Protocol, which most police forces follow. It particularly relates to people with dementia and Alzheimer's and uh, our propensity for going missing. And that's a descriptive form about the person, their habits, where they're likely to go. Now, that might be a bit too detailed for, for many circumstances. And... I guess it's going to be difficult for a lot of people with in a normal family setting to think about sitting down and making a file of photographs and descriptive information, lists of friends and, and family and what have you. So in the majority of cases, it's really just acknowledging that, yes, people might go missing, particularly if you've got young children. If you're going to a strange place, you're on a holiday, now make sure that they know what to do. Agree some sort of common meeting place or means of of communicating and and what you're going to do because the worst thing is that if everyone starbursts and rushes off in different directions sort of say this is the place where we're going to meet if we get separated or here is the place to go if you need to find me if that is a a place that either a police officer is or, or even just a meeting point to to be able to use a microphone Yes, if you're in a shopping centre, there'll be a security office. If you're in a big store, talk to a member of the staff. They will usually have a process in place to respond to such mm-hmm. incidents. So the basic is just just try and have a plan. If you've got someone you know is very likely to go missing for whatever reason, then the more information you can gather together, the better it is. That just takes me nicely to something that's been running through my head for the last few minutes about for someone who's not used to this area where where do you go for help what do you do what does it mean and and 
I mean, there are a lot of organisations out there that can help. Even though that I've been involved in this for, what, 26 years, I still sometimes struggle to know where to go. So, <laughs> you know, launching a new website, the uh, Missing Persons Information Hub, it's mpih.org.uk, that is specifically designed to be a, a central point for people to go to. It discusses some of these issues we've already talked about, about the 24-hour myth, about, you know, what happens and also about signposting to services as well. So if you're not familiar with it, you know, you and I know about missing people. To anyone outside, they haven't got a clue. So you can go there and look and see what is relevant and you can link and get the information. There's lots of useful stuff out there. Hopefully we've started to dispel some of those myths. The reality is that some individuals go missing more than once. What should the advice be? Should each incident be reported? We certainly shouldn't dismiss individual cases in a whole range and a series of events. I think that there's some quite interesting and complex issues around that. Mm. First of all, it's often thought that the risk is lower because they always go missing and they're streetwise. I hate that term. <laughs> it actually, the, the reverse can be true, that the more frequently they go they're missing, the more confident they get and the more risky and dangerous situations they, they place <laughs> themselves in. But it is important to report it because what it's telling us is the pattern of behaviour. Someone goes missing once and they come back and that's resolved, that's fine. But someone who goes regularly missing, there's a strong driver for them to do that. It could be 101 different reasons, but we need to delve into that and understand it. And it's challenging, but to, we need to be able to intervene in that series of events to try and stop it from happening. And you can only do that by spending some time talking to the person and trying to find out what's going on and understanding the reasons what's causing that distress in their life. So it's a difficult issue, but it actually can indicate some much more serious issues. Uh, so it needs to be properly investigated and understood. Also, an important thing to take away is that if one of our listeners has someone that has gone missing multiple times, not to hesitate. The police ideally need to do something, should be doing something, and should not turn you away. And I think that's always the tough part because, again, it's you don't want to cause trouble by making a report that could be nothing. But at the same time, just because they went missing 10 times or 30 times doesn't mean that the 30th time something bad could happen. Yeah, I mean, as an experienced investigator, I'd make some assessments, some judgments about that based on the information and gather the information and make mm -hmm. a determination about what is the right process for a family member. They don't have the benefit of that those years of experience. So you have to report it and, and take it forward. So I really appreciate you coming on to the episode for us and talk a little bit about the missing persons reporting mechanism and also the wider range of missing persons. I'm sure we'll bring you back for other episodes on different topics with your expertise. It's always a pleasure to have these kind of conversations. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, Caroline. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Missing Persons Uncovered. Next time, we'll be joined by Carlos Skippers to discuss the complexity of a missing persons investigation. If you'd like to find out more about our work and any resources we mentioned in this show, you can go to missingpersonsuncovered.com. But if you'd like specific information or need help, please reach out to your local police department or national charity. I'm Caroline Humer. And I'm Karen Shalev-Green. Thanks for listening to Missing Persons Uncovered. 
We'll speak again next time. This episode was brought to you by First Factory, a software development company built on honesty, integrity, and quality. They have committed to building technology solutions to help in missing persons investigations.